Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition, pre-election edition of Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we have a special guest from the 4th District of the State of New York on Long Island, Kathleen Rice, who is now running for re-election of another term. And this show is actually being recorded Tuesday afternoon, the 30th of October. And Congresswoman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And it's been quite a week, I think, for everybody, for this country in general. I think first and foremost, we we have to talk about what's going on, most specifically uh, this past weekend in Pittsburgh. And the first funerals have happened today. And it's just, uh, it's an incredible tragedy. And I'll just say, since we are a Jewish-oriented show, the idea that Jews have to look over their shoulder when going to synagogue in 2018 and possibly could be, their very lives could be at risk is, is just a tragic uh, statement um, and a tragic political commentary as well, in addition to the personal tragedy that's going on. Well, and also, you know, I was stunned by the fact that when he was caught, he was still talking about how he had to kill as many Jews as possible. I mean, that kind of language is reminiscent of a time that all of us would sooner forget. But I can't say, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is, this guy is, was getting his information or his, his, um, his extreme views from any one person, but we are living through a time in this country where the rhetoric on both sides of the political aisle and just across the country in general is incredibly negative and divisive um, and and disturbing. So you sit, uh, or you've been, I'm sorry, you've been very vac- involved in Homeland Security grants, particularly for the districts. You have a very Jewish district. I think there's no question about that. Uh, I didn't actually rank it as far, but it's I one it's, it's one of the most. I think it's the, the 11th top. most populous okay. district. And you're obviously very sensitive to the needs of the Jewish community. Uh, when you go around, I'm sure that there are organizations out there clamoring for help and for protection and for security. So many. Uh, you know, when I was the DA, I got to know this community very well because the security of the entire county was my responsibility. And we unfortunately saw hate crimes that I was very aggressive in terms of prosecuting, but we always tried to help uh, ensure that they were as, that the shuls and places of worship worship and schools were all well protected and ever since I've been a representative we've been able to secure about two million dollars in security grants for um, for the district I think just 1.2 million this year and you know when I am out there they I can't tell you the rabbi I was just with Rabbi Friedman the other day and he said thank you so much we're gonna we're going to be looking to for the best ways to spend the money that you've been able to get for us. But it's unfortunate that we have to do this. But you know, you want to make sure that people are that their right to the freedom of religion is not infringed upon. That people feel like they can go to their temple or their mosque or their church, like I do, um, and and be safe in doing that. I mean, it's just terrible. My heart goes out to everyone in Pittsburgh. But we also can't forget that you know. Last week, there were two African-Americans who were killed in, in a supermarket. Uh, and to say nothing of the pipe bombs that were sent to a lot of prominent Democrats or Democratic leaders, uh, two of whom were former presidents. That's an assassination of a former president. I mean, this is just crazy. This is all within the past week or two. So something is going on, and we have to put the 
partisan rhetoric aside and really try to figure out why, uh, you know, yes, these are disturbed people, but it's not enough to say, oh, they were mentally ill. There are plenty of mentally ill people who are not going and doing what these three individuals did. So the, the issue really is the, the stoking of hatred and division and violence in this country. Many of us have been to Europe, and we look at a lot of these synagogues and Jewish institutions. There are fortresses, essentially. You have to check in beforehand. you got to get cleared. They actually have uh, government. They have army, in many cases, guarding them. I mean, the actual soldiers with uh, automatic weapons standing outside on a permanent basis. Is that where we're headed? Is I, that the kind of... Is that? I hope not. I mean, when the president said, I think one of the first things he said after this happened in Pittsburgh was, you know, if, the, if there had been a guard at the uh, temple, then, you know, this w- might not have happened. And I, I just can't, uh, you close your eyes and you think, that, you know, I'm going to a movie or I'm going to pick my child up at school. I'm going to the supermarket and everywhere there, we're going to live in a police state. I mean, what's that? That's not a democracy. Um I, my hope, look, one of the reasons why I'm very supportive of the Democrats taking over the House is because I do believe that we're going to be able to finally have a conversation with like-minded Republicans who also agree that the Second Amendment protects, has to be protected, but we have to, we cannot read the Second Amendment, interpret it, interpret it to mean that an individual can go into a store and get an AR-15, which is a weapon that's meant to do nothing but kill the maximum amount of people in the fastest period of time. I mean, that is just crazy. So there are things that we can do, but we have to get to the underlying um, environment that we're in right now in this country. Absolutely. I think one of the ways that you would be described is as a political moderate, or at least that's what you've been trying, the path you've been trying to cut while in Congress over the last couple terms, and that's an endangered species out there. Uh, you, know, you look at your district, uh, according to Cook, it's a it's a D plus four, mm-hmm. but it's uh, 175th or so of most Democratic district, which doesn't make it very Democratic when it comes down to it. It was held by Republican for a long time, and or it had been held many years ago. Then it was held by a Democrat for a long time, and then you and then you came in. Uh, you know, one of those issues was guns. And uh, Carolyn McCarthy, your predecessor, really became famous because, tragically, her husband was killed on a, on, on a train with a man with a gun. And you know, that gun violence as a DA has been something you've been part of. But that's really a dividing line for many Americans, particularly when we look suburban versus rural and certainly a red meat issue for many Republicans. So you're kind of straddling that a little bit. I mean, talk a little bit how on that issue you're straddling being a moderate and on other issues as well. Well, l- let me, let's specifically talk about guns because I have been, um, I, 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 as a DA, as someone who is sworn to uphold the law, I appreciate the fact that the Second Amendment is a basic tenant in our country and the right to bear arms. I understand that and that should not be infringed upon. But I have seen time and time again over the, my almost 30-year career holding the hands of mothers who have lost their 13-year-old to gun violence in Brooklyn, on Long Island, wherever it is, um, in the streets of Philadelphia. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. We, the, the number of guns, I think we have more guns than, uh, you know, certainly more guns than we have Americans in this country, and I just think that that's I think crazy. the killer in Pittsburgh had 22 guns. I yeah, think, and he was proud of it name. and put it all over social media, too. So 
I just think that if you were, the majority of Americans believe that we already require universal background checks. Um, they already believe that you can't buy an AR-15 legally unless you're law enforcement or military, and yet those are, that's not the law. So my hope is that after this, we are not going to just say a prayer and feel bad for the victims of these crimes, that we're going to actually move ahead and get things done. Now, you said something about being a moderate and it being a very dangerous place to be in Washington, and that is very true because both parties have very vocal wings. Freedom Caucus for the Republicans and the very left-leaning members of the Democratic Party, uh, whose job they believe is to go to Washington and obstruct anything from happening. Digging your heels in, being overly ideological about what you believe, and not being willing to compromise at all. And I've just never taken that position. I think we have to compromise. Um, there are We have to grow the middle because this country is not reflected in the Freedom Caucus voices or the very far left liberals of my party, they are the majority of people in the middle. That's where most people are. They're pretty socially progressive. And when it comes to, you know, economic issues, they want good jobs for their kids, good education for their kids. They want a growing economy, a strong infrastructure. So I'm just, you know, I'm going to just continue to talk. Um, I hope that the media would do more to report on the more moderate voices that I think more accurately reflect where the majority of Americans are right now. Um, but we'll see. But if you take that just from a political perspective and you know, back to Cook or other people who analyze these types of things, I think the analysis is that about 100 swing districts have essentially been lost over the last decade through redistricting yeah. and just through population moves. And you know you have different uh, states... Uh, you know, changing. And you know, one of the things we're actually seeing is now Pennsylvania rewriting their own map for and creating potentially more swing districts. But uh, you have in New York itself, some of these swing districts are no longer swing. Some of them are becoming, so it's, it's hard to know. But other people are not necessarily, they're more afraid of a primary uh, than they are of anything going on in their general election. Exactly. So what you're talking about is basically the issue of gerrymandering. And Whatever the the party is in power, every 10 years after the census is done, they get to draw the lines. And out of 435 seats in the House, maybe, maybe 80 of them are even remotely competitive. So what does that mean? That the majority of seats in the House, the people who are holding those seats, are pretty much safe and can do and say whatever they want. The challenge for them is making sure that they don't, for a Democrat in a blue seat, I, that I, you don't get challenged from the left and for a Republican in a red seat that you don't get challenged from the right. And I just, we don't, this is why people don't vote because in the majority of seats in the House and the Senate is probably this way too somewhat, although maybe subject to more ups and downs or changes. I mean, you basically, once you get elected, it's almost impossible to get unelected if you're in a red, red seat or a blue, blue seat. And that is what has to change. That's why people don't- As long as you toe the line, of course. Well, yeah, as long as you toe the line. That's right. true. That's true. You've been threatened with the primary at Oh, one yeah, point, yeah, right? no. And, and I'm, by the way, that's fine because I think competition is good. Um, but I think at a time like this, when Democrats are trying to get rid of incumbent Democrats- that's crazy. I mean, we have to get the majority so we can show the American people that we hear them, that we understand their concerns, and that we can actually do some things in a bipartisan way 
that can show people that Washington actually can get stuff done. One of the reasons why, whether it's in the area of redistricting or women's choice or guns, that people are accusing the courts in this country of being activist courts is because we are not doing our job. We're the ones that are supposed to be making laws. And we haven't been doing that a lot lately, except for maybe renaming a post office for someone. And I say that, you know, half jokingly, but I mean, really, that's what we do when we go to Washington. And we can't, you know, abdicate our legislative duties to the court and then call, say the, blame the court because they're being an activist court. So we have to... We have to get back to doing the people's business. This is Spin Class, your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're sitting with U.S. Congresswoman Kathleen Rice, a former district attorney, now representing the 4th District of the state of New York on Long Island, Nassau County, the southern part, most of the town of Hempstead, and possibly a little bit more. No, it's, I think it's almost the... A little bit of North Hempstead. A little bit of North Hempstead. So we'll, we'll throw them in there a little bit. Uh Talk for a second. One thing that still looms large uh, in the Jewish community is the Iran deal. And you bucked the party on that. It looms large right now in this election because many in the Jewish community uh, have not forgotten that Senator Gillibrand supported it. And many are now uh, at least you know activists or there's a lot of, particularly on social media out there, uh, kind of remembering that. But I think it's Interesting that, of course, you're uh, running, and I think you've been insulated a little bit in the district, particularly in the Jewish community, because you bucked the party on that. So what what went into that decision from your perspective? Because we're talking about, again, being a moderate and doing what you feel, you know, cutting that middle path, but it also being sometimes difficult politically to do so, especially when with your leadership and at the time the president being on the other side. It, what it really came down to for me, my vote on that specific issue um, had a lot to do with the fact that it was called the Iran nuclear deal. And so it was primarily meant to address the nuclear ambitions of Iran. I just didn't see how you could address that threat and not address the fact that Iran is one of the most prolific state sponsor of terrorism around the world, Uh, especially in light of the money that was going to be released to them uh, that they were going to be able to use in any way that they wanted. And, uh, you know, look, so I I was a no vote on that because it seemed like a very straightforward vote to me. After it became, after it went into effect, I said, I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that Iran plays by the rules, even though I didn't support the bill. Do I agree with what Trump did? No, because I think that what we're seeing that Donald Trump likes to do is keep campaign promises. And people understand that, you know, build a wall, lock her up, repeal and replace, make America great again. Those are just slogans. When you get to Washington and you actually have to try to get things done, you need to be more thoughtful and substantive. And one of the problems that I have with the way that Trump did that pulled out of this deal was he didn't try to build any kind of international coalition around that. Now, it would have been difficult because Iran was, by all accounts, abiding by the agreement. So I don't know how, what kind of luck he would have had, success he would have had in terms of building an international coalition the way that Obama had, Bush and Obama had. But um, so where do you go now? Where do you go now is the problem. And uh, we'll see. I mean, look, I, I, it was a, I, I don't want to say it was easy because anytime you go against a president who is 
asking for your support. I certainly respect not just the pre- President Obama, but certainly the office and the power that comes with it. But I think my first duty is to the voters who elected me to represent them and um, not be cowed by any kind of political pressure. So at the same time, there's been this shift, and perhaps it's because of the Iran deal or just in general, there's this perceived shift. Uh, I, I would actually think it's an actual shift within the Democratic Party, uh, being a little bit softer when it comes to Israel, uh, at least you know, from certain people perspective, obviously, not talking about the entire Jewish community, but where most of my listeners out there would certainly uh, have this feeling that the more and more Democrats are, you know, kind of fall into the anti-Israel camp. And you're seeing Democrats now being primaried and some of the winners out there are not exactly, uh, are not, certainly not pro-Israel and in some cases otherwise. And you have uh, now a Palestinian American running a Democratic nominee in Michigan as well as a Somali uh, American running in Minnesota who are both, uh, I would say, pro-Palestinian. And that's really not been, uh, not that, that they don't deserve a voice, but that's really, uh, their positions have really been out, are well outside the mainstream of where the Democratic Party has been even. Is that something that you're nervous about as somebody with uh, pro-Israel cr- credentials that the party is moving away on these types of issues and similar to you know kind of they've moved to a certain direction of foreign policy in general but now with israel it's headed in a direction that's uh uh that many of us would not look at as being pro-israel i i never appreciated the fact that a position taken by bernie sanders or elizabeth warren or barack obama for that matter became the position of everyone who had the letter d after their name. fair enough fair enough so I don't think it's accurate to say that that is the direction that the Democratic Party is going in. Because if we do take the majority of the House back, it's going to be because we've elected more people like me than, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who beat Joe Crowley in a blue seat and is one of a much smaller number of new members, if she wins, who will be coming into the Congress. And so I think it's, especially when we're looking at how perilous Uh, national security is at this point, I could see a growing number of Democrats more willing to be vocal about how important it is to support Israel um, vis-a-vis not only their security and the security of that general region, but as it relates to our national security objectives as well. And so I, I, I always caution against kind of sweeping everyone under into the same kind of box just because a handful of prominent Democrats or Republicans, for that matter, take a certain position. There are a lot of things that Donald Trump says that people don't say, well, that is now the feeling of the entire Republican Party, right? Well, some people do say that, but I think they're wrong. Some do, but <laughs> I, I know a lot of Republicans, too, as well as my own colleagues on the Democratic side, for whom that is not true. That's absolutely a fair answer. I, I wasn't trying to—I wasn't tarnishing the, the party. What I, well, I, I, I guess it, what my feeling is that there is now a substantial minority, or substantial enough that it's noticeable uh, out there. Yeah, I, I, that, I, I that, think you're right. You know, and the progressive movement has kind of adopted— the this, whether it's intersectionality or other types of uh, uh, things on the left, as and now BDS being you know pro BDS or other types of uh, action against Israel has is now part of that platform. Um, so I, I guess that's what concerns a lot of people out there. 
No, I, look, I understand that, and but I can tell you that right now, and I can't speak for the Senate. Look, if you were to stop 10 people on the street and say, who's the head of the Democratic Party in this country, you'd get 15 different answers, okay? On the Republican side, it's Donald Trump, for better or for worse. Right. I know a lot of Republicans who say, I wish he was not the standard bearer of our party, but he is for now. And what kind of, you know, internal debates go on in the Republican Party? I'm sure there are many because there are still a lot of moderates who don't agree with I think they're all retiring. Nat, well, I'm, I'm hoping, no, there's not all of them are retiring, but um, my hope is that we do grow the middle. But, all, you know, so too on the Democratic side, I think that there is going to be a very robust conversation in the Democratic Party after this election about what direction Democrats are going to take. Certainly post-2018, if we get the majority of the House, maybe the Senate, and we see where we go from there. But, you know, for the two, next two years leading into who's going to be our presidential candidate in 2020, and are we going to be responsive to the needs of people in every geographic region of this country, or are we going to adhere to, you know, the same kind of identity politics that have kept us in the wilderness for so many years. This is Spin Class with Michael Fragan here on the Nakam Seagull Network. We are sitting with Kathleen Rice, the congresswoman from the 4th District of New York, uh, engaged in re-election coming up on November 6th. I urge everyone out there to go out and vote no matter where you live, no matter where you who you vote for or where you might vote. You should definitely vote on November 6th. Uh, congresswoman, do the Democrats take the House? I think it's probably more likely than not that we will, although I've never subscribed to the the idea that it's going to be a blue wave. I think that people need to keep in mind that in order for us to win, we have to win 23 seats. Uh, maybe we get between 30. It's not really that many. But it's, well, it's not, but, you know, 30 or 35. But, but keep in mind that the majority of these seats are red seats. So it's hard to win as a Democrat in a red district. And some of these are gerrymandered to be pretty strongly red. There's quite a few swing seats here in New York that there we're looking at. There are some. At. Yeah, there are some. I mean, I think Zeldin is going to have a, get a run for his money. Um, Pete King has a, an opponent against him who has That's your neighboring never district. been better. Yeah. Um, there's never been anyone to give him a challenge like this. John Faso, I think, is having a, a, a race. Claudia Tenney. And by the way, Chris Collins. I mean, really? Are we going to, you know, reelect someone who's under federal indictment? I mean, this is my as, hope as is a, as that, a former DA. Yeah. That must be difficult no, for you to, very, to look, think about. This happened when I first ran. Michael Grimm right. was under federal indictment, the, the congressman from Staten Island, and he got reelected. Right. And then, you know, Boehner pushed him out because he took a plea after that. But we're never going to regain the faith of voters if we support, you know, alleged violators of the law if we protect them because they're one of us, it's ridiculous. It's one of the reasons why people have no faith in people in Washington. But I do think that we will probably take control of the House, but I don't think it will be um, by with any blue wave. You didn't vote for Speaker or Minority Leader Pelosi last time around, and I think you were one of those uh, within the party who said that they need, the Democrats needed to go in a new direction, uh, assuming that Let's just go with the idea that the Democrats take the House. Uh, that seems to be where the conventional wisdom is. Of course, everything's possible in politics, and there's still a week left. Uh, will you vote for a speaker again, or still undecided? Or, or oh, I'm no. sorry, will you vote? You, you've already announced where you're going to vote. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I can't support Nancy Pelosi for speaker. 
Um, look, I've been very vocal. Are there any other candidates? Uh, well, so first of all, let me say this. I, I think we need leadership change. It is not just about Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. It is the other two top positions as well that are held by Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn. Again, nothing personal to the three of these individuals. They've served very well and honorably and for many years. But we have been losing since 2010, and no one has been held accountable. And at this point, we need to tap into the incredible pool of talent that we have in the House, in the Democratic Caucus, of people who can speak to Democrats all across the country, and quite frankly, Republicans and independents too, who can speak to voters and give a message that resonates with them. And I just think that this leadership team has not been able to do that. And I think that if we were to be fortunate enough to take the majority of the House back, I think that the message that sends to Democrats is, you're our last hope. And the last thing I think we should do if we're given that responsibility by voters is to say, well, we're going to take the party in the same direction we've been going in. By getting the majority, we are being asked by voters to go in a different direction with new leadership. At least that's how I would interpret it. And we'll see what happens. Um, We're going to have a very robust debate. There's no question about it. But look, it's a debate that I'm I'm looking forward to having because I, I overwhelmingly I think the American people, and if you put any weight in polls, this is what polling is showing, that the majority of people believe that Congress needs to act as a check on this administration, just as it would if it was any other administration. And for that reason, I think that's probably our best bet for getting into back into the majority, as opposed to it being an endorsement of any particular leadership team. So the last two years have been pretty tumultuous politically. I think that's a fair statement. With divided government, their potential for divided government, we'll just go with that. How much more or less tumultuous do you think it's going to be? Can a Democratic House work with a uh, with, the, with the President, the White House, irrespective of where the Senate goes? The answer is yes. Uh, it's down. Uh, it's a dual track. The first track is making sure that the new chairman and chairwoman of the committees actually bring the committees back to doing what they were meant to do, which is actual oversight over the administration and federal agencies. That's our job. It's one of the primary functions of Congress, and I'm hoping that we can take a tack down that path. The other path that we have to go down is coming up with a an agenda that speaks to the concerns and the needs of the American people and doing it in a way where we reach across the aisle and we get bipartisan support. So strengthening the ACA, making sure that people who have pre-existing conditions do not lose the ability to have health care, primary, number one concern I hear from people. And there are a lot of Republicans who believe that too. Number two, we have to pass uh, laws that keep AR-15s off our streets that allow for universal background checks. It's what people already think the law is. I know that there are a lot of Republicans. By the way, Pete King, who co-sponsored the No Fly, No Buy bill with me. So I know there are Republicans who could do that. And then um, and then we have to do the DACA fix that should have been done last year, but Paul Ryan wouldn't put the bill on the floor. Those are three things I just named for you right there that could be part of our an agenda where we can actually show 
the voters that you gave us this responsibility. We are engaging in the appropriate oversight over these agencies to make sure there are no violations. You have, you have another Zinke is now under investigation by DOJ, the Secretary of the Interior. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, But also, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We're also going to, to satisfy our legislative responsibility and get some laws passed in a bipartisan way. So that would be the approach if I could wave my magic wand. Okay, last question very quickly, because we are really out of time. Tell us, who is Kathleen Rice, and why should a voter vote for you next week? Thank you for asking that question. I I think the voters in this district know me very well. I've been the DA here for nine years before. I've spent the last four in Congress. And the one thing I would say is I told the voters what I was going to do when I went to Washington. I said, you know who I am. You know where my values are. I am going to go to Washington, and I'm going to represent you, and I'm going to stand up and speak truth to power when it's called for, regardless if that power is on my side of the aisle or the other. And I believe that's why people reelected me overwhelmingly last time, because unfortunately, I'm a rare breed, I think, in Washington. And I say that without patting myself on the back. I just don't know any other way to be. And I wish that more people could go to Washington and, stay and say, I'm here for the voters. I'm not here because I want to get on a certain committee or I want some leadership post. I'm here to reflect the needs and the desires of my constituents. And I think I do that pretty well. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on Spin Class at November 6th. Everybody out there must go out and vote. It is important. If you don't vote, you don't count. This has been Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Thank you.